Welcome everybody back to my show, Cognitive Dissonant. My name is Kalyani Saxena, but you probably already know that if you're listening to this. Um, one of these days I'm going to figure out how to remember which microphone I'm supposed to use because I always turn on mic one and I'm supposed to be using mic two. I know this is probably like very boring content, but I can't tell you how frustrating it is um, to... Wait, no. Yeah, sorry. This is irrelevant content. I just wanted everyone to know that I'm... Still learning my way around a microphone, despite the fact that this is episode nine of my show. Um, that's really exciting. I'm one away from ten. You know how Netflix has those series, and you know when there's only ten episodes that it's a good show, because if there's like 22, that means there isn't that much quality. Let's pretend it's the same thing here, that my ten episodes are all quality. Don't tell me if they're not. Uh, Speaking of don't telling me, if you're listening to this show, either on the podcast afterwards or on the radio right now, probably just my mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad, you have to let me know because I love interacting with my audience, who's basically just my friends and my family. And like I said, sometimes it can get kind of boring. Um... Or not boring, but lonely, just being by myself in a booth for 40 minutes. So I would love to hear from you if you're listening to my show. Text me, send me a pigeon, leave a letter in blood outside my door. Speaking of blood, did anyone watch Game of Thrones episode 3 last night? I did not because I was watching Veep with my mom, which is a great show. Um, But I always keep up with spoilers because I can never wait. And all I have to say is they really did that. Hmm? They really did that. So no spoilers for me, but you should watch it because they did that. Um, Okay, so I'm going to get started into the episode. Um, And today, I actually had this episode planned for a couple weeks ago. I've mentioned this on uh, different podcasts, but I planned it and then a bunch of other things happened and I ended up planning different episodes because the Mueller report came out. So we're finally back to this episode. I'm very excited to be talking about this today because I think it's really important and it's probably going to be a little more serious than the Mueller report because it's a very serious topic. But I hope that you guys learned something today because I learned a lot while doing the research. So today's episode is called DNA and Detainment and it's about the um, detention of Muslims in China which is going on right now. I know, it's happening right now. That was a huge surprise to me too because I think, and I've mentioned this before, I think when we live in the US, we tend to live in like a very US-centric bubble. Like there's, we have a vague idea of what's going on like when the Notre Dame like started burning, everybody was paying attention, but there isn't always a lot of information that people pay attention to internationally, especially about issues impacting minorities and specifically about Muslims. So I only thought to start looking into this because I was scrolling the international section of the New York Times, no surprise, um, because I, that's what I do, and I saw this as a headline and I was like, wait a minute, that can't really be what's going on, but it is, so I want to make sure that other people know what's going on because let's be real, a lot of foreign politicians aren't talking about it. So first of all, what is happening? What is going on in China? What am I even talking about? So here are the facts. Oh, before I get into that, my sources are pretty much, I think the New York Times. Um, yeah, there isn't really, I, yeah, I'm very pretty. Oh, I use the Guardian as well. 
So, the New York Times and The Guardian. Um, I'm very predictable in terms of my use of sources. Okay, so what's happening? China has detained up to a million people in quote-unquote re-education camps, and the government insists that these camps are vocational training centers that curb extremism. This is not true. This, these are camps which are imprisoning Muslim, the Muslim minority in a particular province. So the camps actually are not, uh, I mean, I'm sure you can guess they're not vocational training centers, but they function a lot like medium security prisons. And according to the New York Times, in some cases, they are like forced labor factories. So the people who are being targeted, and I'm going to do my best to try and say these names, but I don't speak Chinese, so if I mispronounce them, and you do speak Chinese, please let me know, because I think it's important to pronounce things properly when you're talking about international affairs. So I'm doing my best, but um, I am ready to learn, if that's not the case. Okay, so the people who are being put in these camps are the, a minority group called the Uyghurs. Um, I think is the way it's pronounced. So they're a predominantly Muslim ethnic group. They're not all Muslim, but they're predominantly Muslim. And they're a smaller section of the population. And China is very concerned about them and wants to make them more subservient to the Communist Party. Which, if you know anything about like how communism has worked in practice, this isn't really anything surprising that communism is trying to get some of its uh, one of okay so let me explain what I mean by that with communism the state kind of becomes the center of everything your ties and your loyalty are to the state I'm talking in general theory I'm not talking specifically about China right now however when you have other ties like your family or like religion or ethnicity then those ties have the potential to weaken your tie to the state so it is therefore in the interest of the state to try and get rid of your ties to a specific identity that isn't the state. And with China, what I'm guessing is happening here is that when you, in minority groups, there's a lot more strong bonds between the community because you are a minority group and you have to stick together. And that means the bond between the Uyghurs is probably very strong. And that makes them less likely to obey the Communist Party and less likely to be good communist citizens. So it's in China's interest to try and get them to renounce that religious identity and that ethnic identity and come to see themselves only as Chinese citizens and specifically Chinese citizens of this regime. Okay, so that's the analysis on why specifically they're being targeted. So in these factories, the Uyghurs have to disavow their Islamic identity and then embrace the secular principles of the Chinese state, which is kind of what I talked about, they're, where they're trying to reduce the tie to the religious identity and make it so that everybody's kind of a uniform citizen where there's nothing that makes anyone different except, yeah, there's nothing that makes anyone different. Everyone has the same sort of loyalties to the state. They also are forbidding the use of the Uyghur language and make them do drills in Mandarin, which is the language of the majority in China. So this is another attempt to stamp out that individual identity that, that makes them a threat to the communist system. So, okay, and then there's, yeah, okay. And this all started, for me this was a really interesting thing to look at because 
I, first of all, like I had said, hadn't really heard a peep about it. And second, or I hadn't seen a peep about it necessarily in American newspapers. But also, this isn't really a new thing. This started happening in late 2016. So this is not something that's been happening in the last couple months. It's been going on. It's been a, a concentrated effort on the part of the Communist Party to turn the Uyghurs and other Muslim minority groups into good, loyal supporters of the communist regime. So this has been happening for a, like two and a half years now. So the, the way they're justifying these job training camps at, is with the narrative that, oh, they're trying to help people escape poverty and backwardness and radical Islam. And what's really scary about this, there's a lot of things that are scary about this, which I'm going to get into really shortly, but what's especially scary about this is that it's very easy for the rest of the foreign kind of international community to buy into this ideology or, or the, the rhetoric that China's saying because there is such an Islamophobic narrative across the world right now that Muslim is synonymous with extremist terrorism. That's not something that I believe in, but that's something that is constantly being talked either implicitly or explicitly by government leaders. So when China's saying, hey, like we're actually trying to just stamp out radical Islam in our um, country, it's it's an easy sort of parcel for people to buy into because radical Islam is in some ways like a buzzword for terrorism in um, in the rest of the world because of the way it's been talked about. So it, it's it's a very effective rhetorical strategy and it also means that like people people aren't paying as much attention. And there's so there's. A, I'm trying to figure out how I want to go about this because there's a lot of detail to this that I think is important to know. Okay, so what's really startling about this, like imprisoning minorities is unfortunately not something that's super new to the world. It's absolutely something that people have done in time before and will continue to do. But what's really new and absolutely terrifying about this is that the Chinese government in this particular province called Xinjiang, which I think is how it's pronounced, they're using DNA samples to round up the Uyghurs. They're not just finding them through the ways that people normally in turn minorities, but they're using DNA testing. They're using science in order to get people. And this is really scary because it's, you can try and hide your identity. You can try and pass something else, but if they take a DNA test, if they make you take a DNA test and your DNA comes up as Uyghurs, there's nothing you can do. There's no way to hide. And if, especially if they're taking forced DNA samples, there's no way to hide. And this is something that has been a concern with DNA testing, like the lack of privacy around the databases and like how are they being used. I really wanted to do a 23andMe test. My brother did one and surprise, surprise, he came out as 100% South Asian, which I imagine my results will be very similar. But I really wanted to take the test and my mom said no because 
we really don't know how the data is being used. And I think this is a really good example of what if people, and it, it used to be a what if question, like what if people start using DNA samples to make registries of people and easy ways to imprison those people and round people up? It's no longer a hypothetical question. This techno technology is being used right now. So that's incredibly, incredibly concerning. Additionally, this, this province, Xinjiang, is incredibly, um, it, it, it's very, uh, there's a lot of surveillance. So social media is being monitored on their smartphones and a lot of these detainees, the justification that's been being given is that they have committed religious or political transgressions through social media, which I think we take for granted sometimes in the U.S., like the amount of privacy we get to have and that like not everyone in the world gets to keep what's on their phone private. And that in a lot of places in the world, like Xinjiang or Xinjiang, there's a great deal of surveillance the government is monitoring your phone and even if you don't say anything it, they can still use it as justification to round you up not that that is something that couldn't happen here but i'm saying i guess you really have to be careful what you say and be conscious of the fact that a lot of our data is being sold whether it's dna data or from social media so According to, so the government is saying that, yes, these people are committing religious and political transgressions, but there isn't really any digital footprint of that. So people have looked into that and there isn't any sort of legal back, backing behind that. In fact, a lot of the people who, were, who are being detained are often being detained for having a family member abroad, traveling outside of China, or traveling outside of China. So it's really not hard to get put in detention if you're part of this religious minority. And I think that's something you see across the world when you're thinking about immigrants or you're thinking about, not immigrants, when you're thinking about vulnerable populations, you don't even have to have done the thing they say you did. It's so easy to just imprison people. And of course, some other countries do have different processes of like legal processes that can help you. But if you're a vulnerable population, and the state is after you, there's very little you can do, which I think we see parallels to that with the formation of ICE here in the United States. So let's go back to the DNA testing for a while because this is really, it gets kind of, it definitely gets <laughs> very, I was reading this and I was thinking about, you know, all of those science fiction books you read from the 1980s that are like in the year 2020 everyone will have a big head and babies will be designer babies like where they predict that the use of science will start to be used for nefarious purposes so while we don't have designer babies and we certainly still have normal sized heads we are absolutely seeing the use of technology for really nefarious purposes so this genetic material collection is not just horrifying because they're, so in one hand it's like, yes, it's being used to figure out, okay, well here's who is going to be put in the camps, but every single person whose DNA is taken is being used to create a more solidified database where 
they can very easily identify whether or not you're a Uyghur. And that is troubling because when you have something like this where you DNA testing is kind of spotty because it's based on comparisons to a specific group. Like, in order for them to identify that my DNA is South Asian, they have to compare my DNA to other South Asians. And the more people who give DNA and the more people whose data is entered into the database, the more certain my results become. So if you apply that to this scenario, the more people who have their DNA taken, the more and more certain it becomes that they cannot escape that sort of detection, which is incredibly frightening. I feel like I've said that so many times during this already, but it's just so scary that this is a reality. And the other thing that I mentioned was, or that I should have mentioned, was that people aren't giving up their genetic material voluntarily. Uyghurs have been a, a underrepresented ethnic minority in China for a while, and they probably, you know, people are smart. They know if the if the government's asking for their DNA, you probably don't want to give it. But what they're doing is they're mobilizing them by, by sending text messages, either as like free medical checkups or police telling you, you have to come and get your checkups right now. So they're being lured in telling them, okay, well, it's for a medical checkup. And when they get, and they have no choice, they can't not go for the medical checkup. And when they get there, they're rounded up and taken away. So these and the, and the government has acknowledged that these medical checkups are happening and these DNA samples are happening. And they said that, it, okay, sorry, they, they have denied that they connect, that they take the DNA samples as part of free medical checkups. They have, however, said that they have DNA machines and they've said, therefore, quote, internal use. Like, oh, could you be any more vague if you tried? Internal use? What like what possible internal use could you have for DNA despite except for rounding up other people? Okay. There's also a really troubling sort of formation of this DNA technology because China actually got it from the United States, which is makes my mom's whole 23andMe argument very strong. So I'm probably not going to take that test ever, so I guess we'll have to settle for knowing with almost 95% certainty that I'm 100% South Asian. But this, these DNA capabilities are actually coming from a company, an equipment, com, equipment, ooh, girl, sometimes my thoughts move faster than my mouth does. They're coming from equipment made by Thermo Fisher, a Massachusetts company. So something that's happening that's infringing on human rights a world away has its roots in Massachusetts. Technology is not a national thing. Once it happens, it can be used and abused by anybody. And I have full faith, I have full faith that if the US government could do it, they would do something like this. Like it's, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility that technology like this, which exists in the US and has been being used for a long time, wouldn't be used for purposes like these. So in order to figure out what the DNA profile is for the Uyghurs, they used genetic material from people around the world from a database from Kenneth Kidd who is a prominent Yale University geneticist. So there's a few things to unpack there. First of all, Kenneth Kidd, who is from, what a name. You gotta be kidding me, Kenneth. Yeah, 
Let's take a moment of silence for that really bad joke. So Kenneth, he's a United States Yale University geneticist, and he gave this information, this database, to the Chinese government, which is problematic in itself because people are giving their DNA profiles thinking they're giving it to Kenneth Kidd. They didn't think they was going to China. They didn't think their information was being shared, or maybe they did, but no one has... And the other really, no one has any idea what purpose their their DNA profile is going to be used for. And the other really troubling part about this is people who maybe don't got their DNA to like find out where they're from or find out their ethnicity, they are in some ways now implicated in this human rights violation because it's their DNA that was used to create a profile. There's so many things about consent and just general like grossness about that like I would hate the idea that my body and my biological code have been used to imprison a minority that's what DNA testing is being used for and then Thermo Fisher was like okay guys like we're not going to sell this equipment anymore to China and that they're actually working with American officials to figure out how the technology is being used but it's it's you know it's a it's a little too late, as Jojo, the most iconic singer from the 2000s, would say. It really is too little too late. Like, they have the technology now. They have the machines, and they have a database. And the database is everything because it means that they can more easily round up people. And then Dr. Kidd said that he didn't know how this database was being used, but that he saw it as no different from his work with police and forensic labs everywhere. And then he said, governments should have access to data about minorities, not just the dominant ethnic group, in order to have an accurate picture of the whole population. My dude, that is, I know you go, I know you work for Yale, but that's really not the smartest thing to have said. The government does not need to have data about minorities. I think, okay, I want to touch on DNA testing as a very a problematic measure of race. Because I think we've seen in the past during, you know, World War II and, and or in the build-up to World War II in America, in Europe, how scientific racism was used to justify, or science was used to justify racism. Like, people have smaller heads, and that's why, or their skulls are different, and that's why some races are inferior, and that having a, a this much DNA makes you this, like, for example, if you have one drop from, there's a, the whole one drop policy. If you have one drop from here, you're actually African-American, even if you present as white. Or that Jewish people are still Jewish, even if they have, um, I don't remember what the exact policy is, but like even if one of their parents or one of their grandparents was not, or, um, or even if only one of their grandparents was Jewish. Science has been used in the past to identify people and put people in groups, in minority groups, for persecution in the past. And I'm really scared because we're seeing a resurgence of that. We're seeing how the government can use information from in the name of science, in the name of building a database, to really round up people and categorize them and imprison them and hurt them against their will. And I also don't think that the government needs DNA to get a good idea of their whole population. That's what a census is for. Like if you really need an exact count, an exact count of who is what race 
in your government or in your country, I think you need to ask more careful questions about why do you need to know what the racial comp the exact racial composition is of your country? Why is that so important to you? Why are you privileging race or not even someone's own conception of their own race, but what science says about race as the most important measure of a country's population? That is really very I'm trying to say something that isn't frightening startling or troubling because I've used all of those words but that is something that needs to be considered about why is science and racial science making a resurgence around these sorts of issues we need to ask really important questions about that um and so Dr. Kidd really is is not doing the best he Oh, and the other thing is that database was also partly funded by the United States Department of Justice. So the U.S. Department of Justice inadvertently funded the means for the Chinese government to start imprisoning Muslims in their own country. So that's something you should sit with. I'm still trying to figure out what what to even do with all of this information. Like, how do we... Because there's such a craze behind DNA testing, how do we start to change that idea culturally? How do we start to realize that it's not that as easy or as harmless as, oh, I just want to find out what ethnicity I am, or I just want to find out what my racial composition is. There are very real scary implications of DNA testing because it's such a new field. There aren't really a lot of a ton of regulations about who's using the, using the data and how they're using it. And as for the international response, there hasn't really been one. A lot of countries in the Muslim world, according to the New York Times, including Pakistan, Indonesia, and other recipients of big Chinese loans, have not mentioned China's abuse against the Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities, and in fact, have, or if they have acknowledged that they've overlooked it. And then the article also talked about New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who everybody is a big, big, big fan of, who condemned the violence against Muslims um, after the Christchurch attacks. Even she focused on promoting trade with China during a visit to Beijing and didn't mention that, hey, like, what are you guys doing over there with your uh, Muslim population? Hmm? What, what What's going on over there? She did not say anything publicly. And then when she talked to the top leader, she said she talked to them privately. And then she told reporters, you can't do much more than that. Which is very disappointing. I think a lot of people had held Jacinda Ardern up as this like great example of a leader. But I think it's... I, I'm not blaming her specifically because it's not like anyone has said anything publicly about it, but I think there's a general sense in the international community that if it's not really about the dominant group, if it's about a minor- minority, it's not really our problem unless there's like huge, egregious human rights violations, which these are absolutely human rights violations, but are not what they world would consider worth attention and I think that's a problem it, Jacinda Arden and her comment you can't do much more than that are just a symptom or an example of the general lack of interest and lack of 
initiative in protecting minorities in other countries and protecting their persecution. And I mean, for a long time, the United States was considered a leader on this, which is quite ironic considering this country's own track record with minorities. But it's no surprise to me that she said there's nothing more you can do because what that really says, to, when someone says, I can't really do it, I can, what do you want me to do? It really means I don't want to do anything. And I think that's, I think if you would ask any world leader, they would probably say the same thing. I don't know what Donald Trump would say because really, does anyone know what Donald Trump is going to say? But he also talked about putting a Muslim registry together. So the idea to round up minorities and imprison them is nothing new. What's new here and what's something we need to keep our eye on is the use of DNA technology and worldwide databases and our own kind of inadvertent complicitness complicity complicitness you know what I mean in this in this persecution and that this is not going to be the last time we're going to see DNA testing used in this manner we need to talk about how our data is being used we need to talk about how it could be used to hurt other people and also we need to start caring about what's happening on the other side of the world even if it's not about the dominant group we need to start caring about the people who have been squished in so many other countries there's for so long there's two things we need to think about here we need to think about how our own actions and our own participation in databases is are enabling governments to further hurt minorities. And we also need to think carefully about how much attention we actually pay to people who aren't really the concern, who aren't really cared about by the state. So that was a very serious episode. That's pretty much the end of today's episode. I know there's a lot to think about. Um, I will be back next week. But I hope you learned something today. If you want to talk to me more about this and the scientific component of it, I would absolutely love to talk about it. Um, But thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week.